I was trying to think of what I could possibly say to you since you're getting um, so much advice and discussion from people, all of it good. And uh, actually, I want to pick up a little bit where Dr. Stone left off. I want to talk briefly about the idea of goals and why they're important. And when I was sitting listening to the presentations last night, looking for what all these people had in common, looking for what was really going on, noticing, for example, Kevin Costner's idea about understanding who you really were and what you really felt in your heart, and Norman Schwarzkopf's rather more vigorous idea about character and how those two might be related. And it seems to me that um, when I look at my own life, the idea of goals and the idea of intentionality is tremendously important. Possibly the most important thing that there is to focus on. Because, I think, what none of us really acknowledge very well is that we all have two minds. We have a conscious mind, the, the mind that's now trying to, in my case, trying to form words and not seem like a fool. And we have an unconscious mind, which is also active, which is also operating, and which is tremendously powerful, arguably much more powerful than the conscious mind. And I actually think about the relative balance of these things as an enormous elephant on top of which sits a small mouse. The mouse is our conscious mind. The elephant is our unconscious mind. And if you want to knock down walls, you know, the, the notion of which animal, which mind you want to enlist is, I think, very clear. You want the unconscious mind. There's been at least one or two times in my existence when I have been aware of the extent to which my own behavior is unconsciously determined, and there is, in fact, a kind of hidden person inside myself. And maybe if we have time for questions, we can talk about that a little bit. But the notion of goal setting, the notion of intentionality, the notion of really trying to be clear about what it is that you want to do, the notion of writing it down, the notion of specifying and defining, seems to me to be important because that's what the mouse is doing in order to get the intelligence and the cooperation of the elephant. And you need that elephant. The other thing to say about this is that the, the issue of the unconscious not only goes to the matter of character, but it goes to that very unfashionable thing to talk about, which is spiritual values. We live in, a, in an increasingly secular world. We live in an increasingly uh, world where people don't really even want to talk about values. They're thought to be something that's um, old-fashioned or something of another generation. They went out with a horse and buggy. In fact, they haven't. Uh, I was trained as an anthropologist, and an anthropologist believes that every person has religious beliefs. Atheism is a kind of religious belief. And everyone is guided and led by these profound beliefs about how the world is, how we ought to treat each other, how we ought to proceed. That's part of character, and it's also a thing in itself. 
And increasingly, we're a society that does not um, talk and shape and, and find uh, agreement among ourselves about what the proper values ought to be and how our, our elephants, our individual elephants, should charge forward to be effective. I think that's going to change, and I think that's going to be one of the things that the next generation will deal with in terms of the errors of the lacks of my own generation. Mark Twain said it's a terrible death to be talked to death, but mostly I would like to, um, to stop talking about what I like to talk about and talk about what you'd like to talk about. So we'll take questions. Hello, Robin Niles from New York. Um, people keep calling us young leaders, and I guess kind of with that youth comes a sort of inexperience about how to be a leader. Um, General Schwarzkopf kind of gave us an idea about that last night, and Dr. Novella gives us an idea how we should go about on a service route. I was wondering about your opinions on how we could go back and help our peers and those younger than us kind of rise to the level with that we're all at and you're all at. I mean, you're a teacher, doctor, writer. It seems that you're really a people person and into helping people. I was wondering about your thoughts on that. Okay, it's a good question. It's very germane to what I'm talking about today. My answer to you would be, if you can be really clear about what it is that you intend to do, what it is that you want to happen, whether you define that in a general way or, and then try and make it more specific, if you can be clear about what you're trying to accomplish, it, then you, you'll accomplish it. It'll happen. And you don't always have to be um, so self-conscious. I mean, you don't have to know all the intermediate steps. They occur. My experience in writing a book is that I have an idea. I have a goal. I have a desire. And I sit down and somehow it happens. If I have to know everything about how it will occur, or even if I have to think very specifically about how long it's going to take and how much trouble it's going to be and how many times I'll have to do it over, then I wouldn't do it. You know, that kind of knowledge can be inhibiting. But, but I think to set your goal, to, to have your intention, to talk to your elephant and let it charge is the way to proceed. Uh, my name is Rebecca Moyle. I have a little bit of a less profound question. I was wondering um, about Andromeda strain, and a lot of your things seem to have kind of uh, dangers of technologies. And I was wondering if there was something in specific that had happened before you got the idea for Andromeda strain. What kind of a time period was it when you were, were beginning to toy with the idea of writing that book? There was a specific thing, and, and I wish I could remember the name of it. There was a very large oil spill in the late 60s, the first great oil spill. And what I thought was interesting about it was that it was a kind of technological event that was best handled by never having it occur in the first place. And it seemed to me that there was a category of occurrences which, once they occur, cannot be satisfactorily resolved. In other words, it's, it remains true 25 years later that there's nothing anybody can really do about an oil spill. You know, um, every kind of test that's ever been done, oil spills are unfixable once they occur. The, the best procedure is not to have one, and um, both as a nation and, and as a world community, we have not agreed that that's the procedure. We have not taken those steps to see that they don't happen. 
I'm Monique Gibolo from Old Town, Maine, and I was wondering, after you've found an idea and gotten it, how many steps and what, what do you do to bring that idea to life so vibrantly? Like the Andromeda Strain, which I read and was completely terrified until the end of the book, and even then still had a bit of unease. How do you manage to convey all of that? I don't know. One thing is that you have to try very hard. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about that uh, book only because it was my first um, very successful book, and it had an interesting history for me. I had, I had bounced around from one publisher to another. I was, a, at that time, still a medical student, and I had this strange life where um, I was working every other day in the hospital. Um, in those days, it was 36 on, 18 off. And... Then every so often I would sneak onto an airplane and fly to Los Angeles and, and ride around in limousines and, and talk to people about people who were making movies of my books, and then I would come back to Boston and be a doctor again. And it was, it was kind of schizophrenic. I actually won an Edgar for a book that was uh, very clearly about the um, insiders in the Harvard Medical School and... Uh, I was terrified that I was going to have to go and accept the award and people would find out who, who I was. I'd written it under a pseudonym. And all the time that the book was discussed at cafeterias at, at the medical school, you know, they'd say, well, who is this Jeffrey Hudson? He knows a lot about Harvard. And I would be right there, you know, yeah, who is he? Who could he be? <laughs> but in the case of the Andromeda strain, I went to um, Knopf, which was a very uh, high-class publisher, Camus, American publisher, you know. And I wasn't any kind of a writer like that. You know, I was, I was just somebody struggling. And I um, met the editor-in-chief, who was fairly young, and I, and I showed him this manuscript that I had about a, a plague from outer space. And he said, I'll publish it for you if you rewrite it completely. And I said, okay. I mean, he, he was a... An extraordinary editor, his name was Bob Gottlieb, and he was known as the editor of Catch-22, the person who had made that book into something amazing. So I put myself in his hands. It turned out he was lying to me. I didn't have to rewrite it. I had once. I had to rewrite it two and a half times. And it was a very uh, difficult and um, wonderful experience, you know, because as far as I can tell, all the things that I remember and all the things that are important were really hard. Thank you so very much, Michael Crichton.